We have the <coughs> defeat of Jericho in chapter 6. And God had put the city under what we call the ban. They were not allowed to uh, take any of the spoil. They were utterly to exterminate everything, both man and animal. And, uh, however, that's not what ended up happening. So, let's look at chapter 7, verse 1, through, uh, let's see, through 5. But the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the, all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about thirty-six of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Well, chapter 7 begins with an ominous word, but. <laughs> and uh, the but here is a bad deal. Uh, Achan took some of the things under the band. And God was not happy about that. Um, when you stop and think about it, what part does God always get? Yes. So the first fruits of the conquest, Achan took part of. He robbed God of what belonged to God when it was all said and done. We'll have occasion to talk a little bit more about why Achan did that and what all was going on with him. But nobody seems to know this other than Achan and I suppose maybe his family or whatever. So Joshua sends spies to the next city, which is, I call it city of Ai. I don't care what you call it, but, um, you know, so they spied out Ai. And what's their verdict about what it's going to take to conquer it? Don't need too many people because there are not many people. Yeah, yeah. This, this, you don't just you know send two or three thousand up there. There'll be plenty. What do you think about that? Confidence in themselves. Yeah, it strikes you as a little brash, a little overconfident, a little self-confident. Um, maybe a little bit of looking down on the enemy and underestimating. Uh, them, you know, it's easy to do that. I mean, after all, how have they been doing militarily over these last few weeks? Very successful. Who all have they defeated? Jericho. Jericho, and before that? Remember who they the, defeated before the that? Yeah, Sihon and Og. You know, and so they're, they're just rolling right along here, victory after victory. And so they may be just a little bit uh, full of themselves, you know. So easy, it's uh, so easy. Uh, so often, it's easy to uh, not realize the role the Lord plays. Once the Lord gives us several victories, we start thinking it's us. And uh, you know, today's victory doesn't give us uh, 
immunity from tomorrow's defeat, particularly if we lose our dependence on God. So 3,000 people go up to I. How does that go? Not so well. They ran away. Yeah, they fled before the men of I. And what was the result of the battle? Yeah, which doesn't sound like a whole bunch unless, of course, you're one of those 36. But, but on the other hand, they haven't been losing anybody. You know, they've just been, you know, steamrolling these uh, cities. Well, I mean, Jericho just the walls collapsed and destroyed them, and uh, so this is this is a you know shocking defeat. I mean, here this little city that's not going to take much at all, and they get whooped. They weren't expecting that. And notice what happens to the hearts of the Israelites. Yeah. Does that remind you? They melted and became like water. Does that remind you of anything? The Canaanite hearts. That's exactly right. Back in 2.11, Rahab says that the hearts of the Canaanites melted. They had no courage anymore. In chapter 5 and verse 1, you know, the... uh, hearts of these uh, kings of the Amorites melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because the sons of Israel, suddenly the tables are turned and it's the Israelite hearts that have melted. They're now uh, in panic mode. What happened? You know, we thought we were strong. So this is, this is a very uh, uh, unsettling, unnerving uh, sort of a, a defeat. Comments and questions through verse 5. We find out later that there were about 12,000 people in the city. Uh, yeah, I don't remember. In 825, or thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. Or, no, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And if we assume that a quarter of them were fighting men as opposed to women and children, were they... I'm trying to figure out how arrogant... They were. Uh, Part of me is like, okay, this could be military strategy, military knowledge. Yeah, we don't need to commit 100,000 people to take care of 3,000 fighting men. Or, you know, I think it's more, I think it's more arrogance, but just trying to consider if any of them had uh, better motives. You know, I mean, I don't know that all of them needed to go up all the time, but to me, they don't seem very God-focused in this. You know, oh, we can handle this, just send up, you know, two or three thousand. I don't know. To me, it's not so much that they don't send up everybody as that they're kind of just kind of, yeah, whatever, we can do this. Sometimes it depends on how you read it. So I wouldn't be dogmatic about that. But I do think it's interesting that when they're defeated, their reaction at first wasn't real good in that either. I mean, I think they're just not God-centered enough in this. You know, victories tend to lead to us being self-confident. You know, that's a shame. When God blesses us with victories, we ought to be even more dependent and more grateful to Him. But sometimes it just makes us prideful. On the other hand, <laughs> there was a war. It was obvious. I mean, we we're told later it was because of the sin of Achan that they did not win. Yes. So you could make the argument, hey, God's on our side. All we got to do is go up there, and God will give it to us if we're 
trusting in God, and he gave us Jericho. That's certainly true. And we're told that the problem was the sin of Achan that prevented it. Granted, we're told also that he told Joshua later, send all the men of war up there to take the city. I just, you know, certainly. I mean, the question should never be how many Israelite soldiers go into the battle. They can win with one, two, none, whatever. I'm just not so sure that they're that focused on the Lord in this. But but that's more by omission. You know, so that's always kind of uh, tricky. I mean, it doesn't... I don't see them really talking about the Lord in this, but it may be that they were thinking, well, we've got the Lord with us, therefore we don't need very many. You know, certainly that would be true as far as that goes, and I agree. I don't think if they'd have sent the whole army and all the women and children, they could have defeated I, because, you know, they weren't going to. God was going to defeat them because of the sin of Achan. So I don't think that the number of troops was the reason they were defeated, but but they seem a little lighthearted about this, maybe. I don't know. Look at what happens next, how uh, Joshua handles this uh, new crisis, 6 to 12. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. Both he and the elders of the Israel... And they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why didst thou ever bring this people over the Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us, if only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say, since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do for thy great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is it that you fall on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban, and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be with you any more unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Okay. Well, Joshua was very upset. Tears his clothes, falls on his face, put dust on his head, both he and the elders of Israel. Uh, that's perhaps a reasonable reaction. He certainly, you know, has the right to be upset. But then, what does he say? He's accusing God of not taking care of this. Why did you bring us? It's like, why did you bring us out to the desert? Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? It's the same yeah. kind of... Uh, it sounds a lot like it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, oh Lord, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. What is that all about? Only if we'd been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. Whose idea was it that they go into the land of Canaan? God. Yeah, absolutely. That was the promised land. That's where God told them to go, and God led them. This isn't a question of if they'd have been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. So I think uh, Joshua was too focused, uh, you know, on feeling sorry for himself and, and themselves almost. Instead of really seeking the Lord. I mean, almost like blaming the Lord. I think we do that sometimes. Things don't go well. Well, God, we did this. 
you know, what's the use? I might as well just give up. I might as well just not try. You know, and maybe what we got to do is say, to the Lord, you know, I'm open. Tell me what I need to do. You know, I want to do your will. I want to follow you. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be discouraged. I just want to know how you want me to go. But, but so often we're just like, poor me. You know, I don't know why you did this to me. Now, granted, Joshua is an excellent leader. He's a very good man. We all have our failings, but I don't consider that to be the best, you know, response on his part. And I think God's answer bears that out. <laughs> he says, rise up. Why is it that you fall on your face? You know, I mean, really, he needed to get up and work on dealing with the problem. Granted, he didn't know what the problem was. Well, he needed to ask. He needed to turn to the Lord, find out what they needed to do. And the Lord tells him, Israel sin. They've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they've taken some of the things under the ban. And that's why they couldn't stand before their enemies. And I won't be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. So the Lord's quite clear about the problem. He's uh, very specific. I mean, you know, Israel sinned, transgressed. You know, they took, uh, they stole, they deceived, they put them among their own things. I mean, he's got a lot of verbs of disobedience right there. Um, And so, that's the problem. And God said, I won't be with you if you don't deal with this. Deal with it. I appreciate the fact that the Lord is willing to tell Joshua that. I mean, that's, that is the problem, and he's clear about it. Um, and so Joshua needs to quit lamenting the fact that they lost and get busy trying to figure out who got it and where, the, where is it so they can destroy it. Thoughts and comments? That's a good point. It seems like there's a lot of times when something goes wrong, we assume that we know the full story before we actually... Do. You know, Joshua assumed there was nothing wrong on their part, and God just failed to, you know, deliver on his part, on his end. And, uh, you know, it's just easy for people to assume they know the whole story, you know, ahead of time. Yeah, good point. I mean, maybe when we're defeated, we need to give a little more thought to, well, there could be a reason. You know, maybe I should ask about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's almost surprising that he didn't just turn around and send the whole army. You know, why, why did Joshua even say, you know, the Canaanites will hear of it and they'll surround us and cut off our name from the earth. We only sent 3,000 out of whatever they had, 100,000 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Was not fun. But yet he's taken this as a complete... So I, I, almost, <laughs> I think that's a good thing. It's almost like... <laughs> Well, perhaps it's a, a sign that he realizes the size of the army isn't the issue. Yes. I, I would agree with that. I mean, you know, if, if, if they're going to be defeated, they're going to be defeated no matter how many people are in the army because the Lord's the one in charge of that. Well, then, since the, I mean, the, the cost of this was 36 deaths plus the Israelites' new fear in their heart. They, will yeah. no, they no longer had... Confidence, and if I mean, if Joshua is looking at it like, okay, so when the Canaanites were afraid, we were able to beat them. Now that we're afraid, they're going to be able to beat us. And it just, you know, strikes me as that might be 
he doesn't think his people are going to fight anymore. Yeah, it's destroyed morale. But he also sees themselves as God's only hope for what will thou do for thy great king? <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be destroyed, and that's it. You're done. You're right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's interesting that he uses that same argument that I guess Moses has used before. You know, are you going to let us be all destroyed so that um, Egypt will hear of this and say he couldn't save him, so he took him out there and you know got rid of him? Yeah, and of course Moses said that because of what the Lord had said about what he would do, and he right. was concerned about the honor for God's name. Here, it may be a little less justifiable to, to think that this defeat means God can't defend his name. But again, think about ourselves. Do we not sometimes feel sorry for ourselves and, and just get really frustrated and impatient when things don't go the way we think they ought to and we don't know why God let them go that way? Um, it's, it, it's easy to be frustrated in those situations. Other thoughts? Well, uh, 13 to 21. Rise up. <clears throat> Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. This says the Lord. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said, There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then you shall come near your, near by your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And it shall be that the one who has taken the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household near man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered and answered Joshua and said, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and two hundred shekels of silver and a bar of gold fifty shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they were concealed in the earth beneath my tent with the silver beneath it. Okay. So... Joshua turns to the people says you need to consecrate yourselves uh, because tomorrow we're going to deal with this. You know, and here's the problem. And we're going to have this casting lots process to determine the guilty party. And uh, you're not going to escape. And uh, he and all that belongs to him is going to be burned with fire because he's committed this disgraceful thing. So Joshua tells him this is what we're going to do. And he gets up early in the morning, verse 16. You appreciate that. He's, he's on top of it. You know, early the next morning, they, he gets up, brings Israel near. And uh, can you imagine the drama in this method of 
discovering the guilty party? Wow. This tension has got to be mounting. It's in Judah. You know, it's, uh, it's in the family of Zerah. It's in the group of Zabdi. You know, now, what do you think about this method? And the results. I kind of wonder why Aiken didn't just step forward and say, All right, I did it. Yes! Of trying to hide among the people. It's, I mean, because whenever he gets around, whenever he's confronted with it, he says, All right, I'm guilty. I did it. This is what happened. And he seems very upfront. Yeah. But this whole tension, I mean, <coughs> yeah, it, yeah. The dread is just built. What is he thinking? Maybe they'll miss it. <laughs> they got the right tribe. Uh, they got the right family. <laughs> you my, know. <laughs> got my grandpa. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know, but it seems to me, I, I would have appreciated Aiken's character more if he would have stepped forward and said, there's no reason to go through this. I'm the guilty party. He did not do that. <laughs> so uh, we go through this dramatic, you know, method that really, that, this would be a memorable experience, I think. I wonder if he thought that somebody else had also taken stuff. If there were multiple people who took stuff. Well, I wonder how long he took, how, how, many, how many steps away yeah. from him did it have to go before yeah. he decided, you know, I believe they might be after me. <laughs> Is that why he did it like that? That he gave him a chance to repent? or I don't know the answer to that. <clears throat> but I think it at least did give that opportunity if he had chosen to. And I would have appreciated that. You know, have you ever done this? I, I remember a situation, but there's lots of situations like this. Where like, somebody did something wrong. I knew a lot of details about it. Well, the person lied to me, you know, I, and so like, I just really came down on them and I revealed the detail and they admitted the detail I admit, uh, revealed. And so I pressed them, okay, now you got to fess up totally. No, no, that was everything. That was, that was not, that was not, and I revealed another little detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that all through the process. They wouldn't admit to one smidgen until I revealed I knew it already. You know what that made me think? I have no idea if I got to the bottom of it or not. The fact that there was not a single iota I got without the guy knowing I knew it already made me think there may be a whole lot more to this that I just didn't happen to know. That's really a bad deal. You know, I mean, because if you only confess because you're caught and you can't avoid it, it really calls into question how sincere your confession is and, you know, whether or not you're really trying to change or whether you just got caught and there's not much option for you. It's so much better, you know, to just say, it was me. I, I did it. Here's what I did. I don't care how bad you feel. You will establish your credibility a whole lot better. When I've had people do that with me, where they have told me up front, yes, here's what I did, 
it, it enables me to, to maintain some trust in them. So, I don't know, this strikes me as, uh, as interesting on Aiken's part here. You know, when he comes to Achan, he said, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. Isn't that kind of ironic that he says, do not hide it from me? He's got a bunch of stuff. <laughs> That's right. That's what Achan's been good at over these last few hours, is hiding stuff. Um, and what does Achan do? He confesses. He does confess. I- I don't know that he had a great deal of choice in this one, <laughs> but he does. I mean, he says the whole nine yards, you know, uh, and it really makes you realize what happened to it. You know, I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and a bar of gold, you know, 50 shekels in weight, and I coveted them and took them. You know, he sees the stuff, he, he, oh, he wants it so badly, you know, so he just goes ahead and takes it. Because, uh, man, he really wanted it. What do we call that? Stealing. Stealing. And what do we call the attitude behind it? Covetousness. Covetousness. But we have a much better five-letter word to describe that. Greed. Greed, yeah. That's what I call it. He's just greedy. He wanted this. He saw it, man. Man, he wanted this. You know, this is the, the lust of the eye. You know, you see it. Oh, I want it. It's exactly Eve. She saw it. She didn't just see it. She saw it. It looked good for food. It was pretty. She takes it. You know, it's just so often. We start looking at something. We start developing this obsession for it, whether it's right or wrong. And then we just can't help ourselves. You know, we just kind of plunge in. Uh, Thoughts and comments. He seemed to be able to express very clearly what was going on and used, you know, what we would call biblical terms, you know. He didn't just say, well, I got a problem, you know. He said, I actually coveted this, you know, and used the right terms to describe his heart. And he knew his heart condition. Yeah, he did. You're exactly right. He knew exactly what he'd done. It's amazing how sin will just harden our heart sometimes. We can know, I know every step I took. I know exactly what I did wrong. But I wanted it. Other thoughts? Twenty-two to twenty-six. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with them took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the gold, bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you, trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned him with fire. And after they had stoned him with stones, they burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stand to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Accord to this day. Okay, so he sends messengers, they go to Achan's tent, they get all the stuff, and Joshua takes Achan and the stuff he's 
see. Stole plus what? His sons, his daughters, his livestock, his house, everything. That's all going to be stoned. It's all going to be destroyed. I find it interesting to know that Achan has sons, daughters, oxen, donkeys, sheep, tent, and all that belongs to him. What does that tell you about Achan? It's pretty materialistic. Or at the very least, yeah, he wasn't taking this stuff because he was about to starve. You know, it's amazing that often greed and, and doing wrong things to get stuff it's not because we're so poor. It's because we just want it so much. Sometimes the more you have, the more you want. You know, you'd, you'd almost understand if his family was starving to death and he took a little food. Wouldn't be right, but you'd understand it. That's not the situation with Aiken. So he just, he just wanted more. He just wasn't satisfied. Um, it's interesting, too. Poor Aiken. I mean, I don't mean this is like we ought to feel sorry for him. But you realize that a little bit later, like once they conquer I, they'll be able to take spoil of I. If he just waited and and waited for the Lord, he could have had what he wanted. But no, he wants it now. He wants what's under the ban. Uh, He's a real tragic story. And so they end up stoning him and everybody with him and all his stuff. And they raise up this big pile of stones over them that it becomes kind of this uh, symbol of God really uh, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, making an example out of Achan and his family. I think that's what I'd call that. You know, at the very beginning of their entrance into the line of Canaan, God lets everybody know this is not acceptable behavior. You remember any other times when God does something pretty strong to kind of make an example out of somebody at the beginning of some era? And Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and who I'm thinking of. Yeah. Very similar. Yeah, that too. Yes, that too. I like Ananias and Sapphira as a parallel in other ways too. You know, because what was Ananias and Sapphira's problem? Greed and taking something that didn't belong to him. They pilfered. I take it they'd already dedicated the stuff to God and then, you know, reneged. So they were a lot like Achan and, and kind of at the beginning of an epoch, you know, where God is sort of teaching that lesson, don't mess around with me. All right, comments or questions about this? destroyed his family and not just taken. Also, same thing with Korah, his whole family. What do you think? Good question. If I were if I were a warlord, the reason that I would destroy the entire family is to prevent anyone from seeking vengeance. Um, but I'm not a warlord, so that's probably not it. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if it's if that characteristic hasn't been passed down. Maybe they know. knew. What do you say? Maybe they knew 
they How would they know? They live in his tent. But did they all live in his tent? And nobody said anything. You know, they were all sort of accomplices, even though they didn't maybe directly take. I think it's them. possible. I think that that one possibility is that they did know and that they were accomplices. Not that they stole it. Not that they helped him hide it. But they helped him hide it. You know, I think that's a possibility. Um, I also think that there are times when my sin has fallout for people close to me. You know, if they were, if anybody in his family was innocent, then the killing didn't hurt him in the long run. But there's a lot of times what what I do may have terrible impact on my family, for example. Not really their fault at all. But wicked people's actions hurt other people. Think about those 36 soldiers that died. And what had they done wrong? You know, Achan's actions destroyed a lot of people. Other thoughts and comments? Also goes to show you that um, just because he confessed didn't mean he still didn't have to pay the consequence for it. Good point. Uh, I mean, a lot of times, maybe we think it's God's job to forgive us. You know, well, I told you, you know, I told you I did wrong. And so now I don't have to, you know, go to prison or, you know, undergo whatever other consequences may take place because of my sin. And sometimes we might even use confession as a substitute for repentance. Hmm. You know, I mean... It's good to confess our sins, but if that's all all we do, well, you know, I, I, I know I just, I've done terrible things. I've done this, I do that. Well, what should you do? How about change? Just telling everybody how bad you are in and of itself does not bring about repentance. Other thoughts? It's, it's interesting that in verse 22, the messengers ran to the tent and I mean I get this idea of of a lot of urgency in this picture they're running to get the stuff and they're bringing it back and like we found it and and I almost wonder if part of the reason why the the, the stoning and burning and burying with stones was so large and included everything is was in part of the zeal to make sure that all of those, all of that evil had been rooted out. Uh, I, I mean, I, I would hope that God would restrain them if they were going too far. You know, that it went to sons and daughters. It didn't include cousins and uncles or, or whatever. You know, but. Yeah. Good point. I probably should let this guy know when I can talk to him because he's been trying to call me. Let me see if I can respond to that because he needs to talk to me. Um, yeah, uh, it does. 
you know, you, you would want as the Israelites to do everything you could to kind of clear yourself. And everything you could to get rid of the sin in your midst. Isn't it interesting that God won't let them go forward? He won't give them, he won't be with them as long as they've got sin among them. Is there a lesson for us in that? Put away from yourselves. Yeah, I mean, what about the fornicator in 1 Corinthians 5? I mean, Sometimes we're all, well, you know, I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and, you know, I'm, we don't want to be too harsh. I mean, what about the damage done when sin is just tolerated and people won't repent, but they just are accepted and everything's fine? You know, we don't really want to step on their toes because, you know, their parents go here, their kids go here, you know, whatever. So we might need to be more radical in dealing with sin, even from the standpoint this could really hurt the whole group. What about, uh, you know, it says that they stoned them as well as burning them with fire, but, you know, when God talks about what he's going to do in verses 14 and 15, he doesn't say anything about stoning. So is that just like a bonus (laughs) that they stoned them first? I, yeah, that's a good question. I don't have a good answer. I don't know. Was it stoning like a... Stoning was a typical... It was typical A typical punishment carried out by the group. Right. As opposed to a single person being hung or or something. Because it required the participation of multiple people, of the community Mm -hmm. as a whole. Other thoughts or comments? All right, well, how about chapter 8, verses 1 to 8?